Hey, massively big hello to everyone who has joined us live and a fond howdy to those listening to us on the streaming platform of your choice. Welcome to Documentation Not Included, episode 7 to 7. I am Josie Howarth, and as always, I am joined by the ultimate co-host, Chris Seba. I was expecting a few more uh, pre... <laughs> Adjectives? I can't. I I can always mess up. Is it an adjective? I was expecting a few extra adjectives. Yes. Uh, But yes, uh, thank you, Josie. Thank you to everyone. Well, hello to everyone in Twitch chat and uh, those listening on the podcast in the future. Um, Do get involved in the show if you are listening live. Obviously, you can't call in. Uh, You know, don't ring the premium rate number if uh, (laughs) if, uh, you're listening to the podcast in the future because you may still be charged. Um, and uh, if you do get involved, we might read your comments out and get you uh, get you involved in the show as well. So, straight on to the topics today. Topics. Yes. Well, it's it's interesting because like you've been off of work, right? Yep. So we've been having some very laid back kind of topics. You know, buying homes, selling homes, moving, all of the things that go with it. But we're actually going back to our roots today. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. So I've We're got still a few. going to allow ourselves for tangents and all the stuff that goes with it, but yeah. So I've I've got a few subjects today, and I'm going to let you and or the audience uh, kind of direct us here a little bit and say which one we want to talk about first. So first one, first one is code reviews. So something I don't know if we talked about that much anyway, and documentation not no. included, because it's it's something that I, I really enjoy code reviews, but I haven't really talked about them that much uh, here. So the second one is uh, search engines, which is the subject that you brought today, Josie, which mm. is how to build a search engine or, or an equivalent, probably a massively scaled down version, I would imagine, from something like Google or Alexa or no, Alexa. Alexa uses Google. Ale- no, don't. Like it uses Bing. <laughs> Actually, a pink. Oh God! Um, and then, uh, and then the third, uh, the third subject, which I kind of threw in there last minute, is electrical installations. Wow, we have a choice. A we do have a choice. Board. So, while while chat catches up with us, Josie, have you got any preferences? I mean, obviously, you're going to say uh, your own. Obviously. Uh, well, 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 kind of, because I'm kind of intrigued as to why electrical installations got tossed in at the last minute. Like, I'm kind of curious about that. Um, but of course, I the whole concept behind discussing why searches are so freaking annoying when it comes to building apps is a thing. That yeah, I I've, I also really like the idea of discussing code reviews. Yeah, you can't sit on the fence. You no. have to you have to select one, or I'll select for us. Ah. Oh, that, then I, then a heartbeat. I pick on the electrical installations. Okay. Well, no one in chat's uh, responded yet, so let's not get, let leave oh, it. Wait, there, I, right. see, I hear people typing. There are they people. Might, they <laughs> might, there, are, there are lots of people. They're just not typing quite right. So I, I see uh, a lot of ghost the, dance. The reason I threw that in last minute is because I've been all consumed um, with creating outside the, the electrics for the outside of my back garden. Because right. as those who listen know, I moved house. We, I had a full rewire when we moved in, so I paid an electrician, a professional electrical company, to come in and rip every wire in the house out because they were old VIB rubber wires that were not fit for purpose and certain, and the, the, half the lights didn't work in the house and I didn't dare plug anything into the sockets. I didn't really want to run my office, you know. Um, and I, show, I think I showed you the dado rail that I've got running along here as well uh, last last time as well anyway so yes i'm now looking into because i'm doing a bit of diy now 
I'm now looking into doing the outside electrical installation myself. And it's something I've never, ever even remotely considered. And I don't know why I'm considering it now, I'll be honest with you. It's the same with almost all DIY. I don't know why I'm considering it other than kind of being egged on a little bit by my neighbour. But um, So I'm looking at running armoured cable um, and then run, and, and I'm trying to figure out what types of uh, uh, circuits I need to install. And it's, it's like learning a new language, programming language, or a new framework, or, you know, a new... Um, a new package that I've downloaded for you know that that contains classes that I can I can put into my code. I know the basics around it, but I don't know really any of the detail at all. So I'm spending so much time just looking at grommets, just looking at like waterproof um, glands that you put into in you know like sockets and. Um, junction boxes and things like that and just to try and figure out like how to make it safe and how to actually run the cables and how to get it signed off by an electrician as well once oh, it's yeah once it's done because i'm that that's that's i think one of the most important things is uh if you're going to mess around with the electrics you definitely have to have someone who is certified come in and just be like so my, my okay. plan is to install a junction box on the outside of my house and do everything from the junction box. So it's not going to be plugged into the mains. Um, I'm going to sort all of the cabling out that I need to do. And the junction box is, the intention of that is that I can expand from the junction box afterwards. I'm going to have two circuits going into that for my main board. I'm not doing that. That's the bit that I'm going to hire someone to do. And luckily, all of the channels are already in place. All of the mm. you know holes in the ceiling are already in place where all the wires have already been run. And I haven't fixed them yet. Um, and I don't think I'll fix them for quite some years, to be honest, because it's just it's a big house. We've got a lot of things to do, and we've just done one room. We've literally just we just stripped in the last couple of weeks. We just stripped one room, um, or two rooms rather, and that's ready for plastering and everything else that's going to come on top of it. Right. So yeah, so the junction box is there, so I can expand it in the future. Add extra sockets. Add extra. Um, add extra things called spurs, which. I'd heard of, but I didn't know what they were previously. Do you know what a spur is, Josie? I do not. I don't even know what a grommet is, other than the <laughs> fact that it's a great name. It is It is a great name. So um, I'll explain the spur first. A spur. Now, now, if there's anybody who is an electrician listening to this, I apologize profusely for what is about to, <laughs> it's about to come out of my mouth. And if anybody is considering yes, doing any electrical work... We are not yeah, electricians. We, we are not electrical <laughs> Legal lawyers. Ramifications. Please do not <laughs> listen to our advice. We're electrical lawyers. <laughs> no, we're not. So, I'm, um, so yeah, <sighs> what, what, uh, someone's talking. Uh, Tultepe, hello, Tultepe, long time no see. And my beard has become even more beardy, yes. Um, I, and I do want to point out, my husband did point out that he did see an electrical installation yesterday. Yeah. He went up into the attic to pull stuff out of the attic because we're packing, etc. And he actually saw the um, inverter for the solar panels that we have for All the right. first time. So, and that's actually interesting because it was actually going to lead me. And I know you're going to explain grommets and spurs and all that stuff in a second. But are you going to be putting solar into anywhere no. within your house? I was considering it as a man, you know, as a secondary backup, but I. I've been told by a fair few roofers, roofers tend to be the people, the people who install your solar uh, panels, etc. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and by electricians that it's not really worth it. If for it to be worth it, one, you need a lot of extra room, and luckily we've got a massive attic and we could fit in all of the, uh, is it converters, you just said, mm-hmm. or the inverter or whatever. Um, the inverter. We've got plenty of roof space as well, but we're going to get a re-roof at some point, so can't, I don't really want to install anything on top of it and have to bring it down again. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, it's just not apparently not worth it. It's not worth the, the amount you save. As much as I'm all about reuse and all about you know saving the planet, I, I don't know. I just don't know if it if it's feasible. Might look into it in the future, but I think it's unlikely. Got to worry about heat pumps coming in anyway. Everyone's uh, switching from gas to heat pumps or hydrogen. They're the two new fuel sources that are. Uh, I don't know if you know much about that, Josie. <laughs> Not yet. No. We're going to be I'll forced into it as at I some ha- point. As I have a house with absolutely zero, um, you know. In, in central heating or, or, or what have you, whatever it is that is called in this country. It, yo, I know nothing. We <laughs> haven't looked at the stuff yet. I think the thing for me and the reason why I asked about that is because I know that um, a lot of the electricals and things that you can do for an outside installation can have solar. Like, yeah. you know, having the lights actually handle being powered and charged by solar is something to consider. Not necessarily like, like we have, we have solar panels and I will tell you, they have saved us money in the long run. So Mm. we also, our solar panels don't just stop here though. We collect and what we use, like we get first dibs on the energy that comes out of it, but everything that we don't use goes right into the grid. But you must still pay... Do you, do you have? Are you still connected to the grid, or do you are you solely on solar power? No, we are. We're still connected to the grid because, I mean, let's let's be real. This is England, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, <clears throat> right? Yeah, but I mean, I'll yeah. tell you, we do yeah. not pay nearly nearly what we would have to pay. So, so Gwyns has just said that heat pumps are the future, and I've heard some things about heat pumps that are. Uh, uh, oh, I've read some things about heat pumps to do with. If they're if you're trying to run them in temperatures that are too low, they're not very efficient at all. I think it's somewhere below. Um, I, th- I think it was something like seven or eight degrees. So in our winter, or even in our spring, sometimes and autumn, we're going to be below that. So again, I'm not sure how efficient they're going to be for for mm. us. Anyway, we've kind of eat the mic because apparently I'm too quiet. Yeah, I told you you were. So yeah, you're much better now, much it's clearer. Weird. I haven't, I haven't changed the mic settings or anything, but I will consume the microphone for your benefit. Mm. If I am better, let me know. If I am not, let me know. I'll whap your your volume up as high as it can me. go as well. Uh, so whap. yes, a in terms of an electrical installation, installation, there are two main types of circuits. One is a ring main. A main, you know, a ring circuit, which essentially starts at the board and goes all the way through all of the devices and then back to the a board. A bit like a ring network. A little bit like a ring. I don't know much about them because I'm not using a ring main. And then the other one is a radial circuit where you take um, power, which I didn't even know was a thing, by the way. Um, you take power off the mains and then you just essentially run through all of the devices until you get to the end. And that's it. So if you're running lights, for example, outside... Um, I'll take one off my my socket and I'll run it all the way through all of the lights. Say there's thirty lights or something, um, and then and then it just terminates on the very last light, and you don't have to do anything with that. There's no 
downside to it apparently i thought it had to go back in a circle but it works apparently so um and what a spur is is taking a feed off one of those circuits and changing the amps which i think is is that classed as current or load load i think the load not the current it's the load that's on the device so say for example you've got a 30 amp uh, main circuit and you've got loads of 13 amp fuses plugged into it so in this office i've got something like 18 uh, double sockets um, all plugged into the wall all plugged into this dado rail and it's extendable and they're all 13 amp they don't draw 13 amp because when we plug a device into it say for example a monitor a monitor might draw 0.8 amps or one amp or something like that mm-hmm. so you know even though you're plugged into a 13 amp fuse you don't need that much, or 13 amp socket, you don't need that much. Anyway, so what a spur does is it takes, say, say for example, a feed off a 30 amp uh, main, and then it can downgrade it to two amps, one amp, etc. So you might want to do that for, right. say, for example, what I'm doing is I'm running, I'm running an armored cable all the way through um, uh, under my lawn, which is going to be a hell of a lot to dig because I have to dig two foot down, about three or four inches wide, um, two foot down for the entire thing because. That's cord, apparently. And it's going to land in a socket on the other side of the wall. And then from that socket, I'm going to take a spur for the lights. And then from that same socket, I'm also going to go to another two sockets. So I'm having to figure all of that out. And bearing in mind that all of these things, I'm not just plugging them. I'm not just like wiring them in like you would inside a house. I'm having to, one, get the right graded cables. So I've got all these different widths of cable so i've got 2.5 millimeter armored cable for all the sockets and then 1.5 millimeter armored cable and this is something to do with the load that the cables are capable of Mm -hmm. um and then 1.5 for all of the lights and then every single one of the uh sockets or not i don't think the lights are going to have this but any junction boxes or isolators or anything else that i have to install on the circuits all of those need either grommets or um i'll I'll explain the grommet in a second either grommets or glands and it's the glands mainly that you need so what they are are pieces of rubber or pieces pieces of metal that go inside like a 25 millimeter hole and they make it watertight so a grommet is essentially a circle (laughs) <laughs> it's essentially yeah, a circle. It, it, it's, it's basically a washer. Yes, it's a it's a it's basically a yeah, washer. Pretty much. Yeah, mm-hmm. Tulepe yeah. points out uh, serial versus parallel connection by the sound of what you describe, and of course, my husband points out yes, mostly except with a ring, a fault should break up the ring circuit, and to think of it like a ten or token based ten base T, which is a good old fashioned ring. <clears throat> yeah, because I mean, I didn't. I didn't really get involved about- with that level of network but <laughs> you, you you never did 10 base t oh no i did but i didn't i didn't oh, know okay. anything i know you I had to say. terminate it at the end with a with a t connector oh, i've still yeah. got some of those somewhere but i never knew <laughs> much about it i just was told you know plug that into there <laughs> you know you know i'll tell you that is one of the things when it comes to moving house you start finding things and stopping and going we don't really need this anymore this mm. isn't even a standard in use anymore and yeah, T-connectors are going to be one of those things. So I don't think but you yes. actually have to physically terminate the end of a radial circuit. It just terminates with the last device. That you, I say device, thing that you plug into it, you know, a socket or a light <laughs> or, a, or a switch. <laughs> but I've also got to figure out two-way switching as well. 
So I've got to figure out. Ah. I'm going to have switches. I, w- I was going to have them inside, but I decided to actually have them outside. So I've got waterproof switches. I'm going to have two switches on my house. One is for the path lights, and one is for the bush lights. That sounds silly, but I'm going to try and separate those two. And then I need two switches near my greenhouse, one for the greenhouse lights and one for the seating area lights that I'm putting in there. But all those are coming off different types, different configurations of circuits. So as a programmer, what did I go and do? Because I was getting confused with all this when I was speaking to the electrician. Like, I don't understand all of this. I've drawn a component diagram using Enterprise Architect that details (laughs) everything that should be inside, everything that should be outside. And um, I'm quite... Yeah, I'm quite. Uh, Gwyn's kind of beat, nearly beat me to it, although I'm delayed, so he probably did beat me to it. But yes, a diagram. So yeah, I'm quite. I'm, I'm <laughs> now tweaking or spreadsheet, that. Spreadsheet, he says. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, oh, that's my electrical of, installation. <laughs> I am totally embracing this as a, a tangent, considering the fact that spreadsheets were brought up. Do you know that the Eve Fan Fest went on? You know the space. I know Eve. Game I don't know that there was a Fan forever. Fest, but. Well, yeah, they they have their little fan get-togethers. They made an announcement in the latest one because people lovingly call Eve Spreadsheet Simulator. (laughs) Right. Eve Online is a spreadsheet simulator. And in their latest, you know, fan get-together, they did an announcement about the fact that you'll be able to directly connect everything into Microsoft Excel and the crowd lost it. They love the idea so much because it is a spreadsheet simulator. So there's a tangent for you. Uh, oh, speaking, of, speaking of spreadsheet, spreadsheet simulators, I played a game the other week. Oh, it was it, it it gave you no help, and it just landed you in. You you play as a a monarch. Age of something, Age of Empires, no, something like that. I, I've got it. I've got a few of them on. Um, so you play as a monarch, and you essentially just thrown into the game, and every option is available to you. And imagine, uh, imagine Civilization, uh, any of those games, and you know how many options there are available, especially with all the expansions installed in that game. Imagine that times mm-hmm. five hundred. It was utterly ridiculous and there was so much information thrown at me i just didn't know what to do i just closed the game in the end because i was like everything that you do it's real time it plays in real time kind of not really you know plays faster than real time but it plays while you're clicking around and doing things and you have to you have to like overthrow people and and you know your brother can come and um oust you at times and you have to date and get married and have kids and it's all just just <laughs> loads of figures everywhere i have to find it i'll still look at steam <laughs> <laughs> see I, I have my idol games like that like milvar idol where it's basically runescape stripped of everything but the time investment to level up so i basically just say chop wood and walk away for eight hours come back collect the wood sell it and my woodworking goes up and wood chopping skill goes up like it's those little idle simulators crack me up Melville idle is one of my favorites right now but you know so this yo. this was crusader kings 2 that i was playing oh right um, it is so, an age of empires because that's like a real-time you, strategy game did you finish with ants no i'm still still playing it obsessively You're and still getting told ants. off by my wife all the time <laughs> yeah 
But you don't finish <laughs> with ants. Ants is part of your life. <laughs> oh, you are one with the ants. The ants are I one am. with you. <laughs> See, um, th- that's the thing. We're, we're still gamers, despite the fact that you know we do things. But our gaming habits have absolutely changed over the years. I think. But uh, yeah, so leading to other topics, since you've got your installation out of the way, other mm-hmm. than the fact that what I will say is. Are you planning on setting up like programming for any of the lights that you set up out there? I was considering having some smart lights uh, or some smart system uh, that would allow me to control uh-huh. it with Wi-Fi, but that was about it. I don't really... The... I've got a few ideas for my home heating system, um, which is smart, and I can plug into it and control control it with an API. Um but I, I haven't. I don't really see the point outside. I just we just. I want to be able to turn the lights is, on when it goes dark. <laughs> There's well, not see, much that, more that, to that, it, you know. That's, no, that's fair. There's um, there's a uh, uh, God. The guy was in Defcom and he did a massive talk about it. Uh, but there's uh, a house in the United States. There's not just one, but this guy is one of the ones who's involved in the community who does this. There's not just one house in the United States. I know, it's so surprising. But this community of homeowners spend their entire year preparing for the Christmas holidays. Nice. And they design fantastic light shows with smart lights, and they do massive programming things, and they even do radio hijacking. So people can drive up in their cars, and there's like a little sign that says, tune into this radio, and the lights will flash, and you'll see a little scenario and stuff going on in time with the music that you're listening to in your car. So I was just curious just how far you wanted to take your lighting outside. Well, I'm talking about the back at the moment. Um, My wife is quite a big fan of the uh what i refer to as tat around christmas i loved christmas don't get me wrong but there is a lot of tat involved with christmas in in most of the world that that does christmas Um, oh yeah but the the next door neighbors who were very we've become very good friends with which is wonderful having great next door neighbors i can't i can't emphasize it enough it's just brilliant wait um but um, the, the next door neighbours, they're also mad for Christmas, like proper mad for Christmas to the point where they have lawn, you know, lawn um, ornaments and every room has to... The, the house is quite, like, minimal and prim and proper, if you know what I mean, but they've, they just... At Christmas, they just go mental. Everything is Christmified, Christmasified. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do some at the front. I said to I said to my wife last year, next year... I want to have icicles running along the house, which we've never done before because we're in a bungalow and it's, it, you know, I yeah. don't have to climb up a ridiculous amount of ladders and risk my life yeah. to get to, <laughs> to that. So I want to do that kind of thing. But I think maybe, maybe I'll do something a bit more elaborate, but we're on a main road. So maybe we're not allowed either. I don't know. Might not, might not be allowed. Ch- challenging is what that is. Mm. Oh, well, so, leading off of that then. Leading off onto maybe search engines. I was actually going to go into code reviews, but I will happily take search engines. And since you mentioned search engines, let's discuss search engines. Let's go for it. (laughs) Okay, so I actually wanted to bring this topic up because uh, I have a client who is um, wanting to have a specifically tailored search engine created for niche type of markets. 
Now, most people know that in today's day and age, search engines are pretty much how we find everything, whether it is Google, DuckDuckGo, Bing, Yandex, whatever. <clears throat> there are a ton of search engines out there. Now, what most people don't think about is what it takes to actually fill those search engines with oh. searchable results, right? So everyone who has ever worked on a website before may be familiar with robots.txt. Fantastic file. You basically say, robots, please respect these rules that I am laying down inside of this file. I say, uh, a please request. respect, but, but it is a request. It's not a requirement. Let's be real. But anyway, so there is that, but there are actual 100% spiders that you can purchase to crawl the internet looking for specific listings, which, I mean, they start at like 30000 a month or something like that. I mean, they're relatively inexpensive considering the massive amount of work that they have to do in the wonderful world of worldwide webbing websites. But, so... The end result, or the reason why I wanted to talk about the search engine side of things is because once you have those results, you then need to be able to search them. Mm -hmm. Now, I have, I have worked on a website that I, I took over uh, from previous uh, developers, and we, every time a search was done, it brought the database to a halt, froze the entire yep. system, and we had to search because the search itself was not optimized. Also, Helgardino! Hello. Um, just wanted to say hi. Um, but yes, we were, um, it, every time a search happened, it was basically a fight. And mm -hmm. I was just like, whoever did this did not optimize how they do searches in any way, shape, or form. Now, there is something, there are different types of databases out there. Most people are familiar with things like um, MySQL, SQL Server from Microsoft. Maybe even some people might be familiar with things like MongoDB, right? You, you're storing files, you're storing information, you're storing data, but accessing that data is actually really complex to do it in an efficient way that doesn't kill your server's resources. Mm -hmm. So in my case, it, my client's wanting a search engine. I'm like, cool, this is going to be a really fun project because it is a full-on project. The first is how you get that information, your spiders, and second, how you store that information. Third, how you access that information when you want it. And then, of course, the one that everyone forgets, the weighting of the results themselves. Where do you put the value for weights and how do you make those judgment calls? So that's a project that I am currently working on, and it's tickled me pink. Search engines of any sort are complicated beasts whether they are proprietary yeah. search engines or just a search box that you create i mean i've i've done plenty of different types of uh search facilities i've done for god's sake i've written binary searches that just search through you know um stat like like data stacks that that have to be deciphered before they can even be like in real time they have to be deciphered before they can actually be searched um but whereas are you talking specifically about a web search engine that, that you're talking about? Or are you searching an existing database or both? No, both. It'll end okay. up being both. 
So a web search engine is very different in that you it has to, mm-hmm. you know, these these spiders go off and crawl external sources and then they decipher that data and then throw out data that they don't feel is appropriate and they and put then they all the, in it, they, they do values to it, they, they do blacklisting, yeah, yep. they do oh, all yeah. kinds of things. Whereas searching a um, a private data source, a qualified data source, is a different beast. But it's still just as complicated, but in different ways. Because if you've got a data structure that you know and manage, so say, for example, I've created a database. Let's say, for example, it's got 500 gigabytes of data in it, which is quite a lot of data. I mean, not lots, but it's a lot of data for a... It's not. It's not not as big as some of the really large, because there are massive database solutions and systems that are designed for massive quantities of data. You know, they they do exist, and they are not cheap. But searching the different types of databases, generally, there's something called indexing that goes on. So mm-hmm. the there's, there's, thing is, I'm being very high level here and very naive in the way that I'm presenting this because indexing is just one thing. So there's a, a lot of different ways to index as well. So if you're just doing mm-hmm. uh, queries on an existing, say, relational database like SQL Server, like MySQL, they are relational databases. Sybase was a original, you know, PostgreSQL, they're all relational, i.e. they have entities in the database. So they've got a person and then let's say, for example, they've got blog post and people make multiple blog posts. And that's a relational database in that a person Mm -hmm. is related to many blog posts. That's that's essentially what an RDBMS is. And then you start getting into normalization, which is, it, it, it it gets crazy. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that that's a very, very, again, very simple, naive look at a database. Well, then you've got mm-hmm. NoSQL databases like Mongo, like um, Redis. Mm-hmm. Redis is a in, in itself a, a completely different beast, but it's still NoSQL. Um, it's more of a, mm-hmm. uh, what do they call it, a cache? I can't remember the term that they use for Redis, but there's a few of them. And there's, there's in fact, there's, yeah, a, there's sure. way more NoSQL databases than there are um, RDBMS databases these days. Mm-hmm. They have different challenges. Um, they don't deal with data in the same way. They store them all as essentially as a big, big ledger. Um, and they don't have, generally, if you do a NoSQL database properly, you don't have these relational tables or these relational collections of data. You just have one big collection that has all of the relational data built into each record or each document or, or whatever. And again, it's almost like a very naive flat file flat database kind of a thing but yeah yes um, it, it, and again then i all- would say very 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 high level when you start looking yes. at things like that yeah and it's it's one of those things indexing in a traditional rdbms database is it's a very deliberate effort in that you say for this table again let's take the users table i want to be able to search specifically on uh let's say second names so you would index the second name column that's how you do it. You'd say that column needs to be indexed and it needs to be indexed in ascending order. Um, and that, again, very simple, very high-level way of looking at how to index a database. But then you can have clustered indexes, which are based on uh, more composite search criteria, such as I want, to fir- I want to search on first and second name, and that's a common thing that we do, first and second name. So we would make a composite index of first and second name. Then you have clusters and non-clustered indexes, and they play different parts and and basically a cluster index is a physical order and then you can do even more advanced levels when you start getting into stored procedures and you can it's 
it, well, store procedures are the queries. They, they're the things that they are. They that are do. the queries that that do the work. Yes, but you can actually cache in certain ones. You can actually sort of do a a, a pre bulk. Um, uh, if, for example, the data you can create you're execution not adding plans. and removing. Yeah. So, so <laughs> a SQL me, you can uh, have the uh, results uh, stored. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, indexed <laughs> views of uh, yeah. So that's yeah. called an index view generally in a relational but database. That's the view thing. Yep. And views are different. Again, views are kind of like you've got index views and views, and I, I, SQL is one of them things that I haven't really done that much work with um, of recent years. But that's my one of my bread and butter things that I I used to do a lot of. And the same with NoSQL mm. as well. I don't re- I do play with them occasionally, but most of the work that I do is a little bit more. I've backed away from people typing things in and them getting stored in a database, and that's database getting used to display things. It happens. Oh, I do do it, it, but I kind of move away from that and try and do more interesting projects these days. So, um, so that's a question anyway, I have for you then. How? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say I'll stop with the ego. I'll, uh, I'll let you let you go. <laughs> whoosh, whoosh. No, out of curiosity. Okay. Say that when you start out, you are basically starting out with a collection of, we'll say, 100,000, you know, records or results. Because, again, this is a very niche platform. So you're handpicking the the original data set that is going to start off everything. Mm-hmm. What would you look for in a storage solution for that data? How would you want to store that, knowing that in the future it's going to grow by having additional information brought in by spiders. Just curious. As to very... like, because I, I've had to build a proof of concept using a MySQL database. And I said from the beginning, this is proof of concept. We know use for reality. <laughs> that is a no. Absolutely not. So I, I think so... it depends on the type of data that you're bringing in from external sources. Um, that that's data modeling and it's a slightly different thing I'd, i would i would look at the data and, and then i would figure out if it's worth normalizing it um you know creating a database structure for that data or if it's a little bit less um what's the word if it's if it's not a uh, common data i.e let's say for example we're searching for let's go back to the people analogy we're searching for people online people records i mean Let's not go into the GDPR part of that. <laughs> Let's, so basically, say, for example, you were trying to find profiles of people online and import them into your database. That would be generally a, a set of common data. You would have a first, second name, date of birth, or, you know, mm-hmm. all these other things, address possibly. But if you're, if, you're not, if, you're, if you're searching and storing non-structured data, that's a completely different animal. I would use something, we, we discussed it very briefly before, something like Elasticsearch and I would look at the data, and I would definitely store that in a uh, uh, in a NoSQL database in a document store as well, because if you store it in a relational store, you run into a problem that one of my clients has is that they spend more time they're, they're using XML to store XML the data, the metadata for entities that can look like anything at all. Which is controlled by them, by the way. They don't do searches, but they they create every customer they create. Their person record looks very different, so they do that in in XML. But they store it in a relational database and then spend an inordinate inordinate amount of time 
uh, optimizing the searches, the, the index views, the indexing, the everything about it, and it's and it's very it's quite slow to be fair. I mean, it's it's, it's admirable what they've achieved, but it's also quite slow in comparison to what yeah. it could be if they used a document store and Elasticsearch and all the other more modern, better tools that they could use for it. So it depends on the use case. I'd need a bit more detail. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't go into it any. too much. I, I can't go that can't go into that too much. Um, instead, I'm going to slightly shift it ever so slightly as well, because when you start working in a search engine, there are things that are kind of expected from a search engine, such as being able to use quotes to do an explicit search, or being able to do operands of some kind, and or not included, sort of that kind of thing. And that is one of the things that I am enjoying right now is figuring out the right way to get the data accessed by making certain that if someone puts in, for example, someone puts in, I'm looking for a t-shirt for someone who is five foot two in green that I can wear in the spring. And someone types that in because that's what they think the search should be, right? And all of a sudden, we start getting into fuzzy searching. So well, that's you know, natural language searches. Well, that's, that's no, no, but the, the data comes in, but we still have to do something with it. Mm-hmm. So there's also the people who sit there and go, shirt, red, period. And that's yep. like all they put in. Like, how do you find and weight the relevances? Uh, the relevant, uh, it starts with an F facets and how you get each one it's i'm just it, the whole thing is just a That's, massive exciting project it is exciting josie but it depends uh, now if if your client oh, had come to yes. me i would be asking a lot i think you might be delayed by the way i'm i think we're talking over each other a little bit unfortunately oh, no. um sorry folks uh so um it depends on what the client wants by the sounds of what you're saying, and again, I don't know the ins and outs, so I can't really give yeah, any advice. Yeah, there's a lot I cannot say about this at all. I'm being so I high would, up here right when now. It, when it comes to things like natural language queries, uh, being able to use quoted identifiers, being able to being able to search a verified and non-verified set of data, I would definitely without a shadow of a doubt, look into existing products for that because developing that in your cell on your on your own time is even if I was, you know, I was given six months, Yo. twelve months, you you would you would be solving problems that, you know, companies like Google, Other Elasticsearch, have already Amazon. Done. Exactly. exactly. And there are actual so, some incredible tools out there already for that. Um Google, I, I can't remember which one it's called, but they have they have one that does it. I can't remember. Like, oh, it's, it's I was looking Google, into. I think. <laughs> no, no, no. So you can actually have. You, most people know you can actually have Google. You know, have a little search box on your site, and it does a search, and you know, produces results. But there's actually another higher, like another step you can go where it is exceptionally tailored, and you can do a lot of uh, work with it. I cannot remember name of it but it is probably just simple google something something because everything is google, google search api it, it might be i can't uh, there's, remember there's, google have got thousands of digital products these days and, and they've it's probably a, got it's the same the, thing with AWS. everything can be searched yeah yeah like 
yeah, like there's so many different ways to do that kind of uh thing and it's it 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 Creating really a does programmable come down. search engine <laughs> there's it's just so google's much engine do. i think i think we might have to take a, a be right back break because i think the delays become too big and let's sort this out josie we'll be back oh. very shortly guys bye i'm sorry Josie's mouth is now right, and we are back. That was the shortest BRB we've ever had, I think, but uh, all it was was a refresh, so we're back. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't break your train of thought then, Josie. What were you, what were you talking about? Or what was your, we were looking at the search, oh, the Google there's, search there's bunch, product, not The thing is, there are a bunch of tools out there that already do all of these things, and it starts looking into, well, how extreme are you looking at going? Are you trying to create the next Google? Because if you are, no. Just no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. But like for something entirely tiny and exceptionally niche, you know, there are things that can be done to make a very interesting search engine. And the thing that gets me is they're wanting it to be a lot more curated, which I think is really kind of interesting. So it's a lot of hand checking and a lot of overhead that they've chosen to take on themselves. But again, we're not talking, it's not going to be big, Chris. We're not talking yeah. like 10 million sites, not even 10,000, not even necessarily. Will a it thousand. be public or it's will it be private? Private. Wow. Well, so if it's private, then you absolutely, uh, there's, there's, there always <laughs> has to be some restrictions. And curation is actually quite a good thing in some respects. But if it was public, mm. I wouldn't even know where to start with curating something like that i mean even google don't do that <laughs> you know? no no they don't i think the most really. they curate by is what ds or dcma uh, takedowns they receive that day yeah like <laughs> i don't i don't envy the task josie i tell you that much but i would be doing a lot asking a lot of questions uh, which i'm sure you have oh, done I have. um and i would be yep. making sure that it's absolutely clear to my client that what they're asking for uh, is the moon on a stick with today's standards and they will have to make some concessions no doubt but oh they oh they 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 absolutely are and they absolutely have been to me it was just something that i was excited about and i just thought it was kind of cool because i don't think people really i think a lot of people take for granted how search engines work mm. in general so, so the, and i think that is one of the things that because when this started and this has been something that's been going on for like 18 months kind of a deal like there's a there is a whole lot of background to all of this and stuff like that but it was a it should be easy enough to just do this and i went eh, no stop back up about seven thousand paces we need to talk mm -hmm. but they've been completely you know laid back about that but i think people take it for granted oh, yeah. and i think it it's the different parts of the technology that I find fascinating. And things have changed over the years. Technology has advanced. And so has the speed at which we expect. Do you remember caring about how fast the results came back on Google? Oh, yeah. And how it actually displayed that? Do you even bother looking at that now? 
No, every now and again, I remember. It's present on the yeah. good page. It is there. No, it is there. Uh, it's still there. 0.0008 oh milliseconds or something I, for I 10 remember having those results. on web pages, on just regular GeoCity web pages. Yep. This page loaded an X amount of time. Oh, this God. is. Um, like. The, this is this is because they've done away with the pigeon farm at Google now, and they've moved on to using two eight sixes. Aww, but the RFC for pigeon packets. <laughs> for those who I don't know, that was an ones. April Fool that Google did many many years ago for for our younger viewers that probably weren't alive. The RFC the was... wasn't with Google. What? Are you familiar with the RFC for pigeon packets? Do you know what an RFC is? Yeah, I know what an RFC is. I just I can't. I, I pigeon packets. I was thinking of the there was the the April Fool that they did quite a few years ago now, but it was basically our data center is run by pigeons, and I can't remember what the detail around it because it was so ridiculous. I closed the page as soon as I opened it, but it was a big thing at the time. So there is an RFC with IETF. Specifically, it is uh, the RFC 1149, a standard for the transmission of IP <laughs> datagrams on avian carriers. IP over avian This carriers. was produced yeah. April 1st, 1990. And it is absolutely fabulous because there have also been additional RFCs on top of this discussing how to handle starvation and food and other things. And it is Amazing. But that's what I mean by pigeon packets. My my thing had nothing to do with Google and had everything to do with RFC 1149. You know the um the I'm a little teapot um HTTP code? Yes. Yes. That's that's still every I, time I come across that, an, which I forget about every time, but I come across that, I make me chuckle. I was looking at uh an API actually recently and it actually had that and it's you know sort of thing if you get this response is your coffee. i was just like oh my god not coffee teapot uh i was just like oh that's great but uh yeah yeah oh, so anyway i think um, i think you've you've got a you've got a hell of a project on there by got, the sounds of it it's i do gonna be interesting yeah. so if you need any technical oh, I, advice and i can help i'm more than happy to oh jump in there i i've I will hire thee out. Well, you don't need to hire me out to ask a question. You know, you can, we're friends here, Josie. <laughs> I'm not going to charge you a so million Chris, pounds an hour. About which is installation what my rate is. of electricals. <laughs> What's your rates? <laughs> that that you can. I, I'll give you money to do that. To be fair, I I am so missing not being outside. I am missing having my, to work now. My tan. My tan is starting to go. I know it doesn't look like I've got a tan, but I have. I'm usually very pasty. Oh, no. Um, I've, oh, I've, no. Even this weekend, I've been inside stripping walls rather than outside making making fences and patios and digging, holes. Know, digging, digging trenches Rar for electrical installations. But yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I really, I am missing. I'm missing not being able to just wake up plan my day right there and then and go right I'm going you know I'm going to do it I said to myself and I might even have said it in the last podcast that I was going to do I was going to work until 12 o'clock um, then I was going to do a couple of hours out doing things that I needed to do for the house and then I was going to come back and do the rest of my day uh, um, you know after five or, or after dinner um, mm-hmm. but I, I've done it maybe two days and it's just when you're on you know when you're in the floor even if you stop for lunch you're still thinking about 
what you're doing, what you're writing, what you. I have been doing code reviews, which is a really lovely oh, segue. Yes. Learning yes, a lovely segue. You made a something, <laughs> and I have to know the story behind this now. Yeah, so I'm I'm in the middle of doing. Um, I've worked with a client that I've I'm working with now for probably 2019, three years now, on and off. I've been they've been a really good client, and for a contractor, or at least in my experience, for a contractor having repeat business from a, a client is not normally what happens normally like my last contract you are there for three months you get them out of whatever sticky stuff they're in um you don't get any thanks and then you get all the blame when you've gone you know it was the contractor's fault etc and and you know we know that that's our life i'm perfectly happy with it it is what it is i'm a mercenary um but (laughs) this client in particular they took me on to do a huge migration of lots of different things, not just the code base, but also um, their source control and everything else. And I've talked about it on the previous podcast. And it, and it, it was a you know quite a long project. And I've been re-engaged mm. again. I signed a retainer with them as well. I, I got them to sign my retainer rather. Um, and uh, it was you know, and, and now I've I've entered another contract to help them out with some updates. One of the first jobs that they uh, want me to do is look at all of the code that's gone into the API, because there's a front-end and an API, that's gone into the API since I was last working for them, which is almost a year ago. So you can imagine five or six developers working working on a, a code base. It's huge. Now, I wanted to talk about how not to do code reviews, and that is one way not to do code reviews. Normally, when you've done some a piece of code, you know you've created a feature in some software. You do something uh, depending on what source control thing you, you're you're working with. But you'd, you in Git, for example, you'd use uh, pull requests um, or GitHub. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Git doesn't have that support, but GitHub and Azure DevOps and you know all the other Git implementations generally have Layouts. some kind of pull review. Um, mm-hmm. So when you do a pull request, you create. Um, a request to say, I finished this bit of code. I want someone to look at it before it goes into the master or the main branch. Um, right. And normally that's quite a small piece of work. Sometimes, for example, most of the work that I do tends to be big big sweeping changes that everyone else is too scared to do because I'm, I love refactoring. I love renaming everything and reorganizing and moving files around. And I scare the hell out of people when I'm doing this because they're like, that's legacy code, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I know the structure really well and I know the tools I'm working with really well, so I'm not afraid to do it. So a code review normally is a small piece of code. Uh, you know, yes. or you can look at something and go, right, we moved all of those JSON files and all of those JSON files, all we've done is move them. Let's just close that and not worry about that. That's signed off. You know, we just we just did some mm-hmm. migration there and then the rest of the codes to look at. Um, but you don't do it in this respect. You don't look at a year's worth of commits into a, a repo, which, by the way, in the way that I've done this is I've, I've essentially did a git diff since the date that I stopped working and exported it into a file and I've just been going through that file and there's 50,000 lines of code in there. <laughs> so I've been going through 50,000 lines of code with the movements and the deletions excluded as well because again Git's such a wonderful tool that you can just emit all of those things. Um, and I finished it today. I was doing it for about two days probably in total but it actually took me about four days because two days of staring and going through code in a non-structured way 
which has probably been, I'd say, probably six major features that have gone in in that time, plus tons of little mods and you know and bug fixes and all kinds of other things. Oh and just, boy! And trying to provide value at that level is extremely difficult. And normally when you do a code review, you put your code in and then you, you speak to somebody else and you sit with them and you explain what the code is and they say, well, why have you thought about doing it this way? Or they go, you're wrong and I'm better than you and that's not a way to do code reviews either. <laughs> so, Josie, what, it's, what it's experience not, have you it had? Does, it, does, I thought, it does happen. Have you um, had any experience in, with code reviews? The, the, the big one is a bit like what you said there where you've had to come in and do a massive review. Do you remember when I was telling you earlier about that fantastic site where the search engine basically killed the server? Yep. Or the search on that site killed the server. That was the thing that I had to do. I mean, that was hundreds and hundreds of lines of code. And I say hundreds and hundreds because this is a PhD. This was a God, this is almost like, what, 15 years? It's been a while. Mm -hmm. It has been a long time since I've done that. Um, But for me, like, I... The worst kind of code review to me is the kind of code reviewed where someone just is sitting there with the intent to demoralize you. I am exceptionally lucky. I have never had to put up with that. Hmm. In fact, I don't think I could put up with that. I I think there's a good chance I'd look at them, probably slap them, and then walk away. Because the intent of a code review is not to demoralize it is to learn together either by either inspiring another thought or teaching a junior something that they may not have known or um you know even just making certain that you haven't made a mistake or missed something or checked something those those things are all important and they're the they're the obvious things that you should be getting out of code reviews but also Mm. maintenance consistency um even things like like comments that don't make sense or code that's commented out that that shouldn't be there. What do you mean? My comment that says touch this and die, forgive me God for I have sinned needs to be in the code. Comments that say (laughs) I mean I love annotations in code. I'm not one of these like militant and there's so many by the way in the developer world, militant developers who who say I, I, sorry, but you know you, you shouldn't be writing any comments in code. If the code isn't that obvious, then you shouldn't. If the code's not obvious, then you shouldn't be writing comments. It's, it's just get over yourself. It's the way I think about this. Is just if you write a comment and the comment says set uh, the session number to four, and then the next line is set session equals four, then you're writing comments wrong because that's pointless. Yes. But if you write a comment, like when I write code, I, I usually approach it in a test-driven way. So what I do most of the time is I write my signatures, i.e. my method signatures, my inputs and outputs. Um, and then I write a ton of comments in there just to get my head in in the right space. And all of those comments are obvious, things that will be obvious by the time I've finished. And those comments will be um, do step A, do step B, do step C, etc. And I'll do it in order and then I'll think about it for a little bit. And then I'll cut, then I'll start writing the tests. Those comments might change mm-hmm. order, you know, but they they, yeah. they give me a, a guide and they remind me that while I'm thinking about it or while I'm in design mode, oh yeah, I forgot to do the input validation because you don't have to do input validation, you don't have to do guard yep. checks, but I will put it in because I've reminded myself. 
But if you write a comment in there that explains why you're doing what you're doing, rather than what you're doing, I don't need to know what you're doing. I can see what you're doing. I need to know why you've done it the way you've done it. And that is more than acceptable to me. And I do it all the time. I explain sometimes there might be a hack hopefully not very often but sometimes there might be a hack that needs to be explained it happens and sometimes sometimes i've copied some code um off a blog and i didn't fully understand it which is again very rare for me these days but it does happen it happens i see it a lot from other developers whole classes thousands of lines of code that's just been copied in because they've been told it's the right and it's that's that's something you catch in a code review. You say, well, this looks mm-hmm. like you've copied it from, it's not your code style, what's going on here, or copied it from a blog. Right? Have we validated that it's secure? Have we validated that it's opt- it does what it needs to do? Have we validated that there's yeah. no additional code in there that is not just malicious, but also or useless? Or that there's no other way of refactoring it to something different. Like There, there is. There always sometimes is. Sometimes <laughs> there, there, I was going to say, sometimes that code is there and you... It, I live by the philosophy that we we live and die by remembering the things that we find in search engines. Going back to earlier comments, you know, uh, Stack Exchange is a hysterical joke among all of us, but we've all been there. Or we've gone and found some blog site that has listed a thing and we use this line of code in order to fix this problem because of X, Y, or Z. Like, we've all been there. But if you go to add that code to your own stuff, you need to know what it is doing and why because if if that's the case like if you're going to pull it in and you're just working in your local system which you should be you should be able to line by line delete the things that you have just brought in and go this is the expected result i expect to see did it show up yes or no now that i've deleted this line this next line i expect this to cause this error is that what happened and as you get rid of other people's code you start to understand how and why that solved the problem and then Write it your bloody self. That's that's trying to how, solve it. That's how I use examples. I will sometimes. I mean, I'll very rarely run examples that come from elsewhere, from external sources, um, in the code base. I will usually take ideas from it and ideas from multiple Stack Overflow posts, blog posts, even official yes. documentation. Everywhere gets it wrong. <laughs> I mean, even official, like MSDN documentation, it's not even MSDN anymore, but it, the Microsoft um, uh, documentation Software is usually... Software developer network. It's oh usually very good, but it's also full of non-production-grade code. And it doesn't say, don't use this in production. It assumes that you know what you're, talk- you're doing. And it's very rare that I'll copy something, even an algorithm, and not look at it and go, well, let's actually, even just so we change it so the variables are named more realistically. Or I get Mm -hmm. code from data scientists who use A1, A2, A3 as the variable names. And I'm like, well, what's A1 doing? Why name it in a reasonable way? And if you can't explain it, then you you don't understand the code you're writing. And that's one of my bugbears is, is... the code needs to explain itself to make itself yes. maintainable and be able to get other developers to help you along, uh, to, to maintain it as well. Um, anyway, oh, so yes, code reviews, yes. they are fantastic. They are absolutely fantastic, are. but don't put up with rubbish. Don't let people, you know, don't let people tell you you're, you're rubbish or, or not be constructive. Don't let them have an ego trip over, over this, that, and the other. And, 
work on practicality, maintenance, security. Don't worry about don't worry about aesthetics necessarily as much. You know, it's good to pick them up if you can. Even coding standards, it's not as important as making sure that the code does what it's supposed to do and it's secure. But I think we've probably talked. Well, I, I, I have now. one thing to add to that, Chris. Oh. That is a Z snap from Chris for his laying down the <laughs> law for code reviews. <laughs> yeah. Little Z snap with a little head wiggle. Hell I think yeah. you'll find that on most senior developers these days, unless they are still stuck in their own egos, which I like to think most yeah, aren't, yep. you know, you do get like to the odd rotten apple. Oh, but yeah. um, I think most oh, yeah. most developers want to achieve something good with a. I won't just sit in a code review just because, unless I'm helping somebody else or somebody else is helping me, which they always That's do worse by than proxy. Meetings. That yeah. is worse than meetings with no point. Yeah, Ugh. but that is going to sidetrack us way past the time that we really should be. We we've kind of crept a little over today, but then again, I think that's because we had three different things to talk about in a variety of different ways. So mm. what we'll say is we're now at the end of our show. Yay. <laughs> thank you to you all in Twitch chat, all of you for joining in. And thank you to everyone who is listening to us in the future on the podcast platform of your choice. We, we were on a, a little bit of a roll earlier, and there was a lot of chat going on from a, a few old faces. But I didn't read too much of it. I'm really sorry we didn't get you too involved, but we were on a roll, and we're more important than you. So, you know, who cares? Whatever. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> so you can visit That's our website and look at talking. our beautiful faces on www.dnistream.live. Uh, all our social media and everything else, all our things are on there that, I think Josie's actually still updating our Twitter occasionally. She said you wouldn't. I am. She is. I, I just figure if I happen to be doing something, I've got a moment. I might as well just say, hey, yo, look up. We're here. We're coming. We'll be on Twitch or something. And if you're new to our channel as well, don't forget to subscribe and like and press all the buttons that exist below us. All of them. <laughs> all of the buttons subscribe that is wow. a thing on twitch subscribing no it is isn't it yeah subscribe it is like like us followers it, it's it they can follow they can subscribe can, they can subscribe at different tiers That's oh yeah can we can we drop this from the from the outro though i don't want to ask people to subscribe well yeah i'm fine with that i don't even know why it's in there it's like i don't see yeah. it i don't even yeah, see I'm, it in our outro other than just somewhere. follow our Twitch channel. It's, oh yeah, and you, know, you can yeah. And as I always say, you can always use our our contact form on our website to get in touch if you want to be a guest on the show. Yes. There we go. And we hope to see you all next week at Monday, six PM British summertime here on twitch.tv slash DNI stream. All that is left to say is goodbye. Goodbye. <clears throat> <laughs>